Of Zones is brought to you by Douglas M. Digital. Is your company running Facebook or Google ads but not hitting CPA targets? Does your company know what CPA targets are? Douglas M. Digital specializes in performance marketing campaigns for startups, SMBs, and nonprofits. They understand how precious marketing dollars are and help maximize them for you. Visit douglasmdigital.com for a free account audit. Today's sponsor is Douglas M. Digital, and this is UpZones. You have to elect yourself, Jamie. Things are changing. Things are changing. You can't say it, but you know it's true. You elect yourself. Things are changing. You elect yourself. You elect yourself. I started this podcast because of Donald Trump. That's right. I, I was a former uh, Obama administration advisor little junior, little peep back in the day. But ultimately, I had gotten out of politics and was feeling pretty helpless when um, an orange-flavored shit stain won the presidency and began the final descent of our nation's storied vessel into fascism. I knew there was very little that I could talk about with any expertise, nor that anyone was interested in listening to, at the federal level, and how many Donald Trump podcasts pro and con do people want to listen to anyway? But I did know a bit about urban development, having been part of the Economic Development Administration and job creation, and, and also having a strong social justice bent of my own philosophy around how cities are built. I thought, well, I can do that. So here we go. Let's talk about Seattle. Let's talk about the people building Seattle. And, and really, the never two did meet. You know, sure, and a guest would occasionally talk a little bit about the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration. Those all came up. But we don't really talk about federal issues here except for, you know, if there's some federal funding for transit. That's just about it. It's not what we do here. Uh, enter Elizabeth Warren. Uh, you know, September of 2018, and, and actually prior to that, this is when it was formally introduced, the, the senator introduced uh, an ambitious fix for America's housing crisis. Uh, the policies that she enacted, which became really, in many respects, the, the root of, I have a plan for that, were robust, thoughtful, expert-approved Consensus solutions to segregation, redlining, restrictive zoning, and the loss of equity by low-income homeowners. This is what I do, what I talk about. Uh, the legislation titled the American Housing and Economic Mobility Act was perhaps the most far-reaching assault on housing segregation since the Fair Housing Act in the 60s. Um, it was incredibly ambitious, pouring like $500 million over 10 years into affordable housing. And at its core, it went after restrictive and exclusionary zoning. My big pet peeve, right? So you can imagine that I was pretty excited about Elizabeth Warren when she decided to run for president. And, and in fact, I did support her. And I sit here now late at night on Super Tuesday, pretty disappointed. Um, my wife, Michelle, is pretty disappointed, too. We were both all in for Warren, and 
you know, I think we both have a different lens. I, I think that Michelle had made some good points when we spoke about it, talking about what a woman can and can't do and has to do. And, you know, that's a, there, there's a whole other kind of messenger for that, but I, I'll say she's right. And that was in there. And then I, I start to think about expertise, you know, just professional meritocracy, um, a subject that is, you know, completely discarded by the modern American populist right and uh, distrusted by the modern American populist left. And here we are, the only real kind of policy expert left in the race is very likely out, although at the timing of this recording, she has not uh, suspended or or announced the end of her candidacy. Look, if you're interested in housing, if you're interested in an end to segregation, which is the root cause of most economic injustice, I don't mean de jure segregation, Brown versus Board. I mean the fact that anyone with pale skin and a ton of money can just drive 40 miles east or west or north or wherever the suburbs are and get out of the problems of the city. Restrictive zoning that prevents development in the rich neighborhoods so they can keep their views and jack up rent prices for everyone else. If you're interested in an end to that, well, I haven't heard much from either of the two nearly 80-year-old white men who remain in the race. And I will passionately support whichever of them emerges victorious and urge my dopey friends who don't want to do it for the other to do so. But for those of us, again, who are interested in housing, equity, segregation, transit, good luck. Neither of the remaining frontrunner candidates for the Democratic nomination have what it takes. And they can get there. We can get them there. I've, I've never been an absolutist on those types of issues. But one of them th thinks it's all about wealth redistribution, which is, of course, part of the plan, but has n absolutely no plan to address segregation, um, sprawl, and zoning. And the other doesn't have any plan to do anything because he thinks he can just smile and shake hands with Republicans. And that's going to get us where we need to go. So, look, I know everyone has their candidates, and I'm sure my listeners probably lean one of those two ways more than the other. So I guess I would just say good luck. Alex Brennan, my guest, is the executive director of FutureWise, Washington State's leading advocate for smart land use policy. He, uh, I know the guy. He's, he's, he's a mensch. I've really enjoyed working with him when I was um, you know, on that uh, Kaiser Permanente advisory board to make sure they were playing nice with the neighborhood. Uh, he, he was a good advocate for smart, common sense transit and uh, solutions that would get people out of single cars, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, came to FutureWise after eight years at Capitol Hill Housing, which is, again, how I knew him, where he, he was a senior planner and then executive director uh, for the Eco District. Uh, it was a neighborhood community development and environmental sustainability initiative based over at Capitol Hill Housing. Um, he's done a bunch of stuff, really soft-spoken but powerful mind, and I hope, as always, you enjoy what he has to say. Uh, you know, busy new job, but it's exciting. 
still living in the same place. You know, the rest of my life is kind of same old, same old. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, Are you uh, married? Uh, no, I mean, I've, I've been with my boyfriend for like six years. Yeah, uh, and he's a poet, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because you were also a poet. I mean, I was very active in the Seattle slam poetry scene. I actually won the championship one year in, uh, here in Seattle. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, which I'm very proud of. But I I, re- <laughs> I retired. I retired about two, about two okay. years ago. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. How about you? What's going on with you? Tell me, I mean... Well, so... Started as the executive director at FutureWise in September. You know, we've got a lot going on. You know, in the short term, you know, we've got our, our big fundraiser for the year coming up on March 6th. It's the state legislative session, which is a big deal for us. We're um, recruiting six new board members. Okay, yeah, you're jumping 50% in. 50% <laughs> increase in our board. So, um, yeah, it's a... Uh, and, you know, then, then there's lots of local policy stuff going on. So, um what jumping into what that. kind of pushed you in that direction? I mean, that's a big jump, right? To take that. Now it's you're the leader now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what what was what were you thinking when you looked in the mirror and said, "I'm going to do this"? Well, you know i I had joined the board of Futurewise about two years ago, mm-hmm. and I had been doing a lot. Uh, I mean, you know, so I was working at Capitol Hill Housing before that on their Capitol Hill Eco District Initiatives. This is sort of neighborhood level planning, policy advocacy stuff. But working a lot on, I mean, my background is as an urban planner. So working a lot on kind of what are the zoning and land use policy tools that we can use to keep Capitol Hill affordable, support small businesses, reduce greenhouse gas emissions locally, all those mm-hmm. things. And... Ended up working really closely with FutureWise folks on the mandatory housing affordability upzones um, that passed last year mm-hmm. in Seattle, and sort of through that joined the board. And I think I had a, I had a very a pretty clear vision of a role that I wanted FutureWise to play, that I felt like they, now we, needed to really step into more. Um, and so I think kind of coming into the board and advocating for that as a board member. Then when the executive director took another job and moved on, it seemed like this was an opportunity for me to really take the vision that I had for the organization and bring it to the you know executive director role where I'm kind of really implementing that rather than as a board member mm-hmm. advocating for it. What brought you to this work? Were you in the library in undergrad, you just said, you know, that you opened the urban planning book and your hair blew back and the, your face glowed and, and you just said this is, I mean, even further back than maybe this role, but what, what is yeah. it that animated that passion for you? I mean, I've always kind of been really interested in the way that cities work since I was a kid. Um, you know, I saw, I grew, I grew up in Seattle in the 80s, saw a really kind of radical transformation of the city and what over the next couple of decades. Um, oh, you just mean the, the, the changes in Seattle now, yeah. I mean, in the last 15 years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really for me in the last 30 years, I mean, seeing Seattle going from a, a kind of working class city with a lot of disinvestment to the crazy economic boom that we're in now that also comes with really extreme inequality and, and a lot of growth and, you know, straining to figure out how to, how to make that all work. The sort of flip of those challenges, right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
is something that like even by the '90s was kind of you could see coming, and I was and. Was that about Microsoft at that time? Was yeah. The, the baby tech boom before yep. the big one? Yep. Yeah. I mean, at that time, it felt like the big one. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> the, just the dot-com boom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Microsoft first, right? And then kind of the dot-com stuff building off of that. Um, you know, and also, I mean, I... So I grew up in the north end of Seattle. I went to Garfield High School, which is in you know within the Central District. In the '90s, the Central District was still a majority black neighborhood, and you know the city had a citywide school busing program to integrate schools that had a lot of a lot of flaws to it, but was also you know an attempt to address the racial segregation in the city that the school district has now abandoned. So I think I was also really interested in sort of what causes segregation, um, why, why are cities sort of set up the way that they are, um, and, you know, I also, I was never, I grew up with a lot of people that were like really the hardcore kind of outdoorsy nature loving people, mm-hmm. and so I never really thought of myself as, as that, but, but like it, 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 as I've gotten older, I realized it is really a core thing that I care about and is, you know, part of what I love about this part of the world. And, and as sort of climate change has become a bigger issue, seeing the connections to kind of power built environment and, um, emissions from transportation, how, you know, buildings. I mean, just overall. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's necessarily like, I mean, there are, I mean, certainly like I was in college and like read the death and life of great American cities and thought like, wow, these are, you know, love Jane Jacobs. But I think there were kind of a lot of little things that set me on that path over time. It wasn't necessarily one, um, do you stay in touch with that now that so much of what you have to do is more administrative, fundraising, organizing? Are you able to access that mm. that passion point? Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I think that I have to make more, um, be more intentional about. Mm-hmm. The you know we're a very Futurewise is a very small shop, and so everyone has to do a little bit of everything. Um, so it's definitely it's not. A situation where I'm this kind of very removed executive director, so, um, but uh, but it is an adjustment from being someone that was very on the ground, working on policy stuff every day to being a little bit of a of more of a step back, more thinking about. Yeah, that's the dilemma the I think in a lot of. I mean, whether you're an organizer, an artist, even just going to work at a corporation, right? You 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 bring a lot of passion to something, and you. Maybe you take a step up or you're given more responsibility. Then all of a sudden you're not necessarily doing the thing that every day you were so passionate about in the first place. Um, but it's good to hear that you, you feel like you can throw up your hands on that. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the strategy piece is something that I love too. So I think that's definitely a core part of this job and like something that I get to do every day is think about like, how are we going to set up the systems that are going to be able to get us to to make the policy change that we want to see happen and rather so it's not the same as doing the direct policy advocacy but um it i think i get a lot of that same 
kind of joy of like dealing with those issues from from doing that work. And so, tell me what you're uh, you guys are focusing on. Let's say in the twenty twenty time time frame. Well. There's a ton of things, but but um, to avoid giving you a laundry list, I think there's um, one thing that's going to be a really kind of big overriding push for us in 2020, um, which is uh, doing a major update to the State Growth Management Act um, and preparing in 2020 for that in to get legislation passed in the 2021 legislative session. Hmm. Okay, so this is, t- t- I mean, tell the listeners about, uh, is it the Metropolitan Growth Management Act? It's just the, the Washington State, Washington State Growth Management Act. So mm-hmm. this is um, this is actually the law that led to FutureWise being founded and existing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the kind of state framework for all county and city planning um, in Washington State. So it directs local government and kind of what they have to do to um, plan for growth, to protect habitat and farmland, mm-hmm. to coordinate infrastructure with you know housing and job growth. Um, it kind of sets out the, the framework for how that should happen. And FutureWise was founded in 1990 at the same time, sort of right after the Growth Management Act passed um, by the same people that were involved in the bill with the idea that it needed sort of a champion and a steward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, you know, I think our mission to some extent has kind of broadened over the years, but that is still one of the core things that we do. But for the last 30 years, a lot of our, um, you know, a lot of our work was to make sure that local governments were actually doing the things that were kind of laid out in the law. Right. And um, compliance, basic compliance um, and, and, and also, you know, uh, identifying areas of ambiguity and clarifying them. Hmm. And then also playing defense on sort of efforts to um, erode or, or weaken who, who would want to do that? I mean, maybe not by name, or maybe by name if you want to, but just, you know, who's who's got a vested interest to roll back this kind of growth management? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a range of folks depending on the time on on the on the aspect of it. Um, you know, uh, suburban developers. Um, probably a big one. You know, the so the growth management act it. it um, it directs uh, counties to identify urban growth areas, which is where sort of urban growth can happen. And then the idea is that outside of that boundary, the area is going to stay rural. So you're not going to have big subdivisions and office parks and um, uh, malls and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it limited the amount of that kind of development that could happen. And so there are definitely folks that wanted to build those things, but they were outside of the urban growth area. You know, I think there's, um, you know, there were property owners that felt like their land got devalued because it was on one side of the line instead of the other. And so there was always this kind of push and pull of trying to, some folks wanting to expand those boundaries. Um, there's also, you know... Can you talk a little bit about those boundaries? So it, it's my understanding that we don't really have very strong urban growth boundaries, right? That we, like urban development boundaries like a Portland would have. I mean, my understanding is these are pretty soft by comparison uh they are and they aren't Hmm. so they're they're 
less soft than you might think. I think the 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 challenge is more that the boundaries are often very big. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff in the boundary. Right. Um, and also, Oregon has more direct um, state oversight with sort of compliance and accountability. So the state actually will review mm-hmm. county um, plans and say, like, yes, this is good enough or not. Um, in Washington state, FutureWise kind of is that mechanism instead and and or i shouldn't say we are um we the the mechanism that's set up instead is the growth management hearings board so there's a sort of quasi-judicial system that's set up to review um plans but only if they're appealed and so one of the things that especially in the 90s when the growth management Act had just passed a lot of what we did was appeal um plans that counties and cities were submitting that we thought were um, out of compliance, but that would have just gone into effect if no one appealed them and brought Mm -hmm. them to the Growth Management Hearings Board to be reviewed and won those appeals and then kind of set the precedent that now kind of governs how folks do um, do sort of planning. I see. So can you talk a little bit about the boundaries themselves? Like where where in the area are we talking about when we talk about yeah. The left and the right side of the of this of this border. Um so I mean, you know, if if you're someone listening to this who lives in Seattle, um, or King County, if you're driving on I ninety from Seattle going east. Everyone is, by the way. It's like it's like Seattle and my mom. Okay. Right? That's Okay. That's <laughs> great. Um you know, you, you, you drive out of Seattle, you drive through Bellevue, you get to Issaquah. It's in, in Sammamish. It's really like after Issaquah and Sammamish that the the first line mm-hmm. happens. There are so it's it's not like. I mean, obviously there are other cities on the other side of that line, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so there's there's kind of like a big conglomerated urban area around Seattle, and then there's urban growth areas for individual cities. So like North Bend has its own urban growth area, right? Monroe has its own urban growth area. Um, those aren't going to be contiguous with the kind of core central Puget Sound area. Um, but, you know, when I was when I was a kid, that that sort of the line of urban develop of kind of suburban development was just kind of marching eastward constantly. Mm-hmm. And you actually and it. it it's actually very dramatic to me. Like you just, that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, it took a little while after the um, act passed in 1990 because the boundary was still kind of set fair, you know, with a fair amount of room for growth and um, the kind of court precedents or, or the growth management hearings board precedents hadn't really been set, but at least in King County, I think there actually is a pretty, um, pretty noticeable kind of line where suddenly you're suddenly you're in the forest right, right. or you're depending on which direction it can count or you're in farmland that's right. actually surprisingly close to the city i mean there aren't a lot of places in the country where you still have working farms that are that close to uh sort of the downtown and do you think that's city. because of the legislation yeah for sure okay that's interesting and that would be um i'm gonna take a stab at this that would be because if there were not an urban growth boundary, you'd run into like 
weird land incentive, you know, price, uh, land prices and land costs where the farms would be pressured to, to kind of sell out. Is that the idea? Yeah, I mean, I guess that goes into like a, a bigger, more philosophical discussion about why why the, the United States has such a suburban development pattern. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know... Um, well, racism and, uh, you know, some dilutions around uh, what wealth is, and I guess. So, but I don't know if you have a different... Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's roots of of sort of racism and classism in a set of policies that were put in place after World War II, right, right? that have really shaped the way that the United States grows, this sort of combination of um, the interstate highway system combined with um, the way that the federal government um, insured mortgages in suburban places Mm -hmm. for white folks um, really kind of drove development in a certain way and and I think then kind of became perpetuated by our financial system and um, education system our education system I mean I mean certainly you know white flight out of sort of I mean this is a little bit less true in Seattle but white flight out of central city school districts with busing was like a, a big component of that too um I, I pulled you down a rabbit hole there. I mean, yeah. I, I, I just kind of came to wonder this concept of farmland being so close. Like, what, what would, what would have been different had there not been a boundary? Yeah, I mean, you know, so, uh, so at some point, I mean, at at some point, someone's going to come to a farmer who owns their farm and give them, and and the the value that they would be willing to pay to put you know, a bunch of suburban homes on that land would be so much more than the value as a farm, for it to continue as a farm that, um, that the farmer wouldn't, you know, would, it would kind of be an offer that they couldn't refuse. As an individual actor, it'd be stupid not to, to take that off. I mean, I, you know, and I would say that that's in many cases only true because our government does so many things to subsidize those suburban homes, right? Because so much of the infrastructure that, those homes would require is not paid for by the home itself. It's paid for by the rest of the taxpayers. Right. So we're, so in effect, we would be subsidizing someone to purchase that farm and convert it into um, some kind of suburban development from farmland. Yeah. And that's really why, um, why the financial picture is so stark. I, I mean, I, so I think we've, we, we haven't necessarily figured out a way to, totally dismantle all of those hidden subsidies but the urban growth boundary is a different way to to kind of protect that and to recognize the value of having farmland that's close to the city being able to get local produce for example right um what are some of the key initiatives in terms of you said you know this year is really about building maybe a legislative agenda for 2021 what are some of those key initiatives that you want to be yeah. working on and discussing and having listeners hear about and think about? So, I mean, I think there's, there are three big things. The first one is climate change. Mm-hmm. So, in 1990, when the Growth Management Act passed, climate change was not as much on the world's radar, and it's not mentioned at all in the Act, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, while we think that the, these regulations that encourage dense urban development and protect habitat and farmland have a big climate benefit, there's no direct planning for climate change and for emissions 
or for adaptation in the act. So, so, and you know, our state is setting uh, greenhouse gas emissions targets, and transportation is the biggest component of our local emissions. But those targets are not translated down into <laughs> the sounds of the city. <laughs> yeah, you know, those targets are not translated down into the planning that. Uh, county and city governments do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's one. Hold on, I'll just edit this out. Okay, it's fine. You just say and so from there. But uh, we we used to record in Horizon Books, and that I mean th- just all the clamping. I don't know if you know Horizon Books. It's over in Capitol Hill by um, by like the tattoo parlor and the puzzle break, and you know uh, the ch- the uh, Mo's. Uh, oh, it's like you go down a, yeah, a ramp. Yeah, every time someone yeah, walks down yeah, the ramp, yeah. it was like... <laughs> and the microphone would just pick it up. So anyway, you were saying the so what of why it not being kind of um, mentioned and forced down at yeah. the county level. So, I mean, this this is a huge opportunity to to actually implement the the greenhouse gas emissions targets that our state has that were, that are currently kind of not actually being implemented. It's also something we need one in our planning we need to be thinking about adaptation so you know we know that sea levels are going to rise significantly even if we stopped emitting greenhouse gases today mm. but the current way that like our um, coastal counties plan isn't preparing for the impact that that's going to have on the shorelines so so adding both kind of climate change mitigation and adaptation into the act is a, is a big <coughs> priority for us um a second thing is um, strengthening the housing element. So um, Growth Management Act has 14 elements. Climate change would be a 15th element. Um, uh, there's a housing element, but it doesn't have a lot of teeth to it. So ideally, um, you know, the housing, the housing element really says, it, it, it says that uh, cities and counties should plan for the housing needs of all income levels. But there's not a lot of direction about how to do that, um, or um, and, and there's not as m- um, much kind of legal teeth to evaluating whether you've really done that or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one of the challenges that, I mean, obviously right now, all of Washington State is going through a housing affordability and homelessness crisis. Yeah. And I think one of the key challenges is that is sort of the regional coordination and shared accountability is lacking and you know the having a state having stronger statewide regulations means that kind of everybody is on board Mm -hmm. to help out and so i think one of the dynamics you see right now is that an individual city will want to do want to provide more affordable housing want to provide more housing in general um but they don't want to be the only one doing that um and that they both because they they can't they know that they can't solve the problem all on their own yeah. and also because you know so they could spend a whole bunch of money kind of doing their part but then no one else is doing their part and the problem stays just as bad as it was before right. and so what's the point of spending the money so this is a way to kind of get everybody hopefully um chipping in their fair share mm-hmm. to to all solve the problem together got it so that's the that's the second big one you mentioned the third thing yes on the list. So the, the, the third thing is integrating racial equity and environmental justice into the act. This is not something that was well integrated into it in 1990. We probably wasn't as well understood by the legislature at the time. I think it probably wasn't forefront of their mind, is my guess. That, that, is, that is probably fair to say. 
Um, and I think that, you know, probably wasn't something that that Future was was as aware of at the time. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we've been kind of talking about those issues as part of the Climate Alliance for Jobs and Clean Energy that did the climate change initiative last year and talking to some of those same partners about what it would look like to have a coalition that does a review of mm-hmm. the act on those issues and and looks at you know how how are we thinking not just about overall environmental impacts but who's impacted disproportionate impact on communities of color and low-income communities right. um, how are we thinking about uh, addressing displacement as we're redirecting growth into urban areas how do we think about um, segregation and access to opportunity access to good jobs transit schools all mm-hmm. those things um, more explicitly integrate all of those issues into the way that um, again cities and counties are directed to do their planning so what can someone do if they want to get involved or help out so the the easiest thing to do is if you go to our website futurewise.org you can sign up on our mailing list mm-hmm. and we will be starting to send out a lot of information about how to get involved in this campaign. Um, in order to, to pass this kind of big change to the Growth Management Act, we're going to need a lot of coalition partners, lots of advocates on the ground calling their legislators, and there's going to be a lot of different ways to plug in. We're just at the very beginning of figuring out what that looks like, so I think signing up on the mailing list is kind of the best way to get plugged into that conversation. Awesome. I'll plug that out. And, you know, in, in past seasons, we've we've had guests leave with a kind of an admonition or a mantra, you know, and we, we changed it up this year. So I want to leave you with, um, what would you like to build? I want to build a movement for changing the way that our, our cities grow. And that, ta- I mean, that takes into account all the issues that we've been talking about today climate, housing, affordability, equity. You know, this is the... Seattle is where I grew up and lived most of my life. It's a place that I really care about, and it's a place that I want to see kind of meet the challenges of our time. Mm -hmm. And I think that the work that we're doing is an important part of that. Alex, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. That was Alex Brennan of FutureWise. They're doing some pretty great stuff. If you want to be involved, check them out at futurewise.org. UpZones is brought to you by Douglas M. Digital. Check them out at douglasmdigital.com for a free account audit. All music today, courtesy of the Subcons, dope opening poetry sample by Anthony McPherson. I'm your host, Ian Martinez. This is a Cascadia Underground production. And this has been Upzones. We'll see you next week. My favorite.